Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Smart Cities Chronicles, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck. I'm Executive Director of the Smart Cities Council uh, and bringing to you episode 80 today of the Chronicles. I have joining me to talk through a, uh, a brand new, very interesting report about cities, hot off the press, Lucinda Hartley, who is co-founder and Chief Growth Officer at Neighbourlytics based out of Melbourne. Lucinda, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Adam. It's great to chat. So, uh, Lucinda, um, the report we're talking about is titled The New Local, um, New Perspectives on Our Cities. You guys released this literally 24 hours ago. Yeah. Um, quick one to start with. Um, tell us who you are and what you do at Neighbourlytics so that you give us a bit of context to sort of this work that we're going to talk through. Yeah, thanks, Adam. So, so Neighbourlytics is a social analytics platform for neighbourhoods and our, our core product measures the quality of life and well-being of neighbourhoods based on digital data. So every day we are leaving behind millions of data points about the places we love and feel connected to through our smartphones, event pages, maps, social media accounts, and Neighbourlytics harvest this data to create insights about city performance and the particular angle of city performance we're interested in is behavior and lifestyle because that's typically that that localized community intelligence is usually the data that we don't have uh, when it comes to city decision making we've got good traffic information building heights other zoning information but you know how do people actually um, behave and what do they value and that's the data set that we hone into and, and so you know we, we're, we're going to talk about the report today but what we've really looked at is neighborhoods have really been changing substantially uh, throughout COVID um, everyone's experienced that in every way uh, but we have looked at a sort of a sample of data to understand what are some of the trends that we're seeing in behavior and lifestyle yeah okay just the first one um how does one access the report, Lucinda, if our listeners are interested in um, getting our hands on it? What's yeah, the best way to do that? Thank you. It's downloadable from our website. If you just go to neighbourlytics.com, click on COVID-19. Uh, there's a button on the homepage and it'll take you there. Perfect. Okay. So uh, hopefully everyone's jumping into their browser right now. So, um, okay. Let's start with the title of this thing, The New Local. Very... I, I like it. It's also a bit provo provocative as well. <laughs> um, and uh, the report goes through, talks a bit about the crisis, um, making sense of the crisis. Um, you, you then sort of present some key trends, some case studies, and then you give some really great ideas on sort of way forward, how to take action using uh, digital data. So uh, nice, uh, it's a nice little read. I've gone through it. Uh, I've got, got some questions that I want to use to sort of structure a bit of a conversation with you. Um, let's, let's start with that sort of summary question, that overarching one. Um, I, I go to that concept of the new local. Mm. Um, you say uh, from sort of page four, you go straight into it to say that our activity has become more localised and online, and therefore we have a new local. Talk us through that idea of the new local. Yeah, so I, 
I would say, you know, neighbourhoods have been the building blocks of cities forever. So the idea of a 20 minute neighbourhood or a local neighbourhood isn't a new concept. And I think the overriding theme that all of us have really experienced through various forms of lockdown is a relocalisation in some way where we're spending more time locally. And it's not just that we're working from home, but we're spending locally, walking locally. I'm in Melbourne, which means I can't yeah. leave my local <laughs> uh, in other ways, but it's not a return to localism. So if you, you know, we might think of a 40, 50, or a, um, a go city model where people spend a lot of time in neighbourhoods and mm-hmm. uh, what we're actually seeing is a new local because we're also digitally engaged so uh, and I mean that not just that we're working online but we are interacting with our neighbourhood locally we are ordering food online we are perhaps doing drop and I, I do click and collect for my local library you know it's yeah. like all of our services have digitized very rapidly and so it's not only about what we might consider about sort of say digital workforce but it's our interaction with place has also become local so what we're talking about the new local is being localized physically but also localized digitally and the reason that's important is that there are so many things that we don't know about even how COVID is operating. But we do we do know that these behavioural trends are existing in different ways in different neighbourhoods and it starts to give us some insights about where we might start to chart pathways forward. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's such a... Um... Uh, it, it, it's, it's such a contrasting idea of, of you know, uh, the, the increase in local analogue you know, getting back out into the local park, the local trader, the local coffee shop, but then also at the same time, this kind of level of hyper-connectedness, you know, you've got these two mm. two sort of often at times, you know, conflicting ideas, but they, they kind of, COVID has certainly presented us with an interesting sort of um, uh, sort of scenario here. And, and, and of course, your data and, and, and the work in the report that you've uh, portrayed here starts to, to sort of play out and, and demonstrate that. So, so what we've got is we've got some uh, really interesting comparisons in the report between Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane. Um, mm. You you talk about. Uh, I just want to sort of do another little glossary kind of check in. You, you refer to this uh, this sort of um, concept of you know place based well being. Can you quickly mm. just give us a definition there, the parameters that are involved in that to help us set up the conversation as we get into the data? Yeah, the way that Neighbourlytics looks at place-based wellbeing is, is broadly based on what we know from social sciences as the social determinants of health, which looks at, do you have access to everything that you need to support your physical and mental wellbeing within walking distance, you know, defined as about a 20-minute walking distance catchment or one kilometre, mm-hmm. and, and that includes access to physical assets like, you know, parks and libraries, but also opportunities to connect. So do you have um, events and programs that would also offer that kind of social connectivity as well? Uh, and so we, we look at that more broadly, but with a, a COVID lens, what we have seen is that there are certain industries that are at risk of lockdown. So something like creative industries, hospitality, which are enforced lockdowns are much more at risk than other businesses, which might be able to pivot or work from home. Uh, and then there are certain assets which are increased and they're more in demand. So something like public open spaces, if everyone in the neighborhood is suddenly trying to access that space, 
those assets are more in demand than they would be in day-to-day -day life. So we, we have this vulnerability lens where we can look at certain key thematic areas of neighbourhoods that during COVID are more at risk or more in demand. And so when we've looked at the new local data, we, we've looked at the key insights through that lens of um, five vulnerability areas, uh, which you'll see in the report if you download it, but it's a public space, hospitality, creative industries, attractions, and wellness and beauty defined as a whole range of allied health, pharmacy, and other uh, beauty uh, institutions. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, that's good. So we've got those five, uh, those five sort of markers, as you say, at-risk industries, uh, and also in-demand um, assets. So the report then takes us through each of those five, um, comparing city by city. Uh, as we go mm. through them. Uh, and of course, this is where some really interesting sort of insights play out for me when I go through the report. And, and uh, for our listeners, you'll, you'll sort of have the chance to have a look at that as well. So, uh, so public space. Okay, let's, mm. let's, let's start there. A couple, uh, couple of points here. Uh, nature is the new attraction. Um, couldn't agree more. I mean, locally where I am in Brisbane, um, we certainly spend a lot more time outside. Um, the, the sort of, what is that, the second paragraph, third paragraph down in your sort of uh, preamble there on the left, neighbourhoods without adequate provision of public spaces can be vulnerable to the impact. So mm. you, you go straight to this idea of equity and, mm -hmm. and, and, and the availability of services. And um, I, 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 uh, I pity those that didn't have good quality green spaces and public spaces, you know, close to them when sort of, you know, the lockdown was happening. And of course, it's still happening for, 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 for you. Um, that's a, that's a, um, that's a real big one, isn't it? I mean, I mean, the, the ability to just get outside and get into some quality space, your, your data shows that, um, you know, that the, the relative increase, cause you looked at, what did you look at? You looked at um, two time periods, you looked at February and May. And you compare, that's right. Yeah, pre-COVID, and then that, in that, the thick of the lockdown. Yeah, that that's right. So you were uh, you you were analysing and looking at um, you know the the proportional change in local engagement with each of these five themes, um, engagement around nature in Melbourne. You know the, the relative increase: one hundred and twelve percent, thirty six percent in Sydney, uh, seventeen in Brisbane. Um, what do we read into that there? Is, is that just Melbourne's got better open space? What was going on in Melbourne that wasn't happening in Brisbane? I mean, the questions just start to come with these insights, don't they? Yeah. I mean, just to, to answer that, uh, you know, in the hypothesis, I would also look at the relative decreases in things like engagement with city and streetscape and other public spaces, which includes playgrounds and sporting ovals, where while Melbourne has had a 112% increase in nature, it's also had a 70% decrease uh, in, in engagement and use of, of regular public spaces like playgrounds, where Brisbane had a small increase in nature, but only a small also decrease uh, in, in use of, of other public spaces like playgrounds. And so what we're seeing is, is not that there's actually a less participation in public space overall. So when yeah. we look at the total volume of data around public spaces, it's actually quite similar in February and May, but the proportion of the type of use has changed. And, and what we've really seen under lockdowns is that, you know, we define public space broadly, like 80% of our public space network can be defined as streets. We've got playgrounds and sporting ovals, but the impact of lockdown has meant that, you know, 
using streets and playgrounds has kind of been off the table, which really yeah. just leaves you with with nature. Yeah. Uh, and it, 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 what we what a study at RMIT found was that I think forty nine percent of people in Melbourne don't have access to natural space, and so while you might have good access to public space of some form like you know I live right near a sporting oval for example and a playground but those things are kind of off off, off bounds right now we, we've only got nature and that's not nearby so it does sort of start to highlight at that granular neighborhood level that the city is really asymmetrically impacted by these by these shutdowns yeah I, I mean more questions come to mind but you know th this is this is a conversation for a wine offline sometime, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it really starts to question the use of the streetscape, doesn't it? You yeah. Know, and the number of uses and of course, therefore the design and things like that. But um, any, anyway, I, um, well, yeah, uh, I mean, a quick point on that is you would have seen, I'm sure you're following citywide. I mean, worldwide, there there are, uh, you know, reclaiming streets for restaurants yes. and providing more space for social distancing. Yeah. And what I suspect in the in the refresh of this data, which we're, we, we're going to be looking at, that we will start to see that streetscape increase as um, we come out of lockdown. Yeah, yeah. So we head to Insight 2 around hospitality. Uh, dining has clearly dropped for obvious reasons, as we know. However, your data is showing such a such a strong connection with food at home, and mm. that, that that data there around home cooking is just off the charts, and I kind of love that. Um, however, and this is where, where where some sort of tension. I don't not uh, I'm not saying it's necessarily in your data, but there's an interesting tension, isn't there, where there's. Um, such a strong increase in connection with with cooking at home and food at home yet qualitatively i observe the amount of online food ordering and delivery to yeah. kind of be off the charts at the same time yeah. um so some really interesting real increases in those trends sort of mm. fas fascinate me yeah, and I, I look at that and I, I think about, I guess in our data, we're looking at is that activity happening within the home versus in the public realm? So it might include, you know, some evidence of, of yeah. takeaway in that home cooking metric. And it won't surprise people that, it, that people are sort of cooking more at home uh, yeah, yeah. under COVID. But what that means for, say, local businesses, if they have really high proportions of people cooking at home, they might actually want to be offering different offers, like exactly. cook at home boxes and things rather yeah. than immediate meal readiness and, and various things like that. It also can give, um, you know, city planners an idea of, of where hotspots are of different local businesses who are ready to pivot and those who aren't. Um, and uh, so it's, it's quite you know hospitality is such a center point of, of all of our activity centers and of all of great places but if we can't behave normally what else can we do and so it's interesting to see that the connection around food has remained strong it's just the location of where that occurs has shifted yeah and and as you rightly uh, point out there the the sort of the potential opportunities then for sort of either local councils to then sort of build opportunities or um, support or help small to medium enterprises um, leverage yeah, le this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, the number of uh, cafes that I've seen who now like have pivoted to become sort of small scale grocery stores, you know, they're sort of participating very differently in the food network than they were six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll keep going. Insight three is around creative industries um 
being based in Brisbane, uh, my, my eye is immediately drawn to your headline um, sort of data set there around the relative increase, increase or decrease between February and May with respect mm. to art and design. So Sydney, mm. Sydney increases 100% under the lockdown. Uh, Melbourne, 42. Brisbane goes down 18. <laughs> yeah. And, and You're not I, very creative in Queensland. Uh, no, I no, but I, I, I remember my wife going to the local spotlight and, and she couldn't even find fabric to make something that she was making. But um, that's a really interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, and when we look at the, the detail of, of the actual type of data that's behind that, because art and design could be in the public sphere, it could also yeah, be in the private sphere, yeah. we're, we've really seen an increase in sort of hobbies around art and craft and, and naturally a decrease around music events and um, other gigs and things like that. You know, if you look at the, the next page, you see in Brisbane in the same period, it has gone down to art and design, but it's actually gone up in music um, in, mm. in a way that Melbourne's gone quite far down in music. And I, I suspect that may be reflective of the lockdowns being playing out differently that there's more opportunities for music and public space and um, music events to to continue throughout that period um yeah so again it's interesting to see that uh people's engagement with art and design as a kind of thematic area that's really important for na at a neighborhood level has, has actually increased it's just not uh the creative the sort of public creative industries that we're used to now they're obviously majorly under threat those, yeah. those industries which need a lot of support right now but i think we can take heart that the population or the customer base is still there and still engaged in those yeah topics. In, indeed so so we we now go to insight four around attractions um this this one really fascinated me uh, well, they all they all fascinate me, but but this one here, I've got a lot of squiggles on my page and my comments <laughs> and questions. Um, immediately, I actually go to the left hand side of that page there, Lucinda, in that in that preamble where you say that urban development strategies over the past number of decades have focused on creating great destinations that attract people, right? Yeah. And yep. I think I think back to my old days in consulting when I was working on projects and. You know that whole idea that you want to you want to sort of shape and create sticky places. We want people to yep. come. We want them to linger. We want them to spend. And immediately, I just go, "Oh my God, what does this does this all now mean for placemaking?" Mm, and and yeah. I'm thinking, is is the whole idea of placemaking sort of really kind of um, is there a refresh needed? Is this, yeah. it's just a blip that we can keep going the way we are or, or is there rightly under your sort of moniker of, you know, the new local yeah. bringing more digital into yeah. physical placemaking. Yeah. That's where my mind goes when I start seeing this data and these comments here. Yeah, I, I think we, you know, if we accept the reality that physical and digital worlds are kind of merged, so they're not like separate spheres, they're, they're kind of part of the same thing, then we do reconceptualize what place looks like. Well, um, well, and well, so, well, well, the point there is not everyone thinks that way, right? True. Yeah. 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 But if you take that position, yes, then you yes. start to re reconceptualize place because what we have, and look, I've certainly, you know, uh, placemaking has been my, my uh, professional upbringing, if you like, and, and great destinations. We know historically successful places have 
if you manage to get people to spend and stay, they're more successful. Mm. But if you can't attract people physically, and, and we might be in a position where we can't do that for a while, what does that mean for local activity centres? Well, I think the reality is you can still engage people. You, can, you just might be engaging them digitally. So what we've seen is things like, uh, say, cafes who have, and I'm just using that as an example, who put time and effort into building a follower network pre-COVID, so they had a large Instagram following, they were active online, they were already connected to all the delivery services. Now, they are able to pivot because they already have a digital audience, not just a physical audience, mm. that they can tap into very quickly, as those who have relied only on the kind of place attraction in the physical sense will have a harder time because they've only got the people who are already there to engage with, not the people they can reach out to through their digital network. And so I think there's an important strategy around particularly activity centre recovery and local business recovery around that digital maturity pathway uh, both the businesses being plugged in but also the places themselves having more capacity to connect uh, digitally whether it's you know through actual wi-fi iot and other systems um, to understand those patterns and trends more effectively so yeah certainly we've seen actual sort of you know people's value of destinations go down during covid mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but that doesn't mean that their digital engagement with those places has necessarily change or could be strengthened yeah yeah okay okay um uh, so insight five the last one wellness and beauty um uh the headline numbers here so when we look at health um the the the, the lockdown causes a 33 percent increase in engagement uh around the theme of health um an increase in Brisbane of 44% and in Sydney, 300%. Yeah. What, 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 what was Sydney, was Sydney siders just, are they just, that they were gym junkies and they, and they then had to do something else. Uh, is there a high relationship? Yeah. That, so, what, what did that say to you? <laughs> I, I think when we look at the health, what we're looking at health is like all kinds of allied health, um, you know, participation in different types of health related activities and fitness and things like that. So, you know, I, I think Sydney, Sydney people like to show that they're healthy online. That would be yeah. one, yeah, <laughs> that would yeah, be one yeah. assumption that I might draw. Yeah. Um, uh, but what we've seen around when we're looking at that, you know, hyper-local neighbourhood level is there this like a, a decrease um uh, in a lot of outdoor activity and increase in indoor activity mostly. So, you know, people are exercising indoors, indoor workouts rather than activities in the park and various things like that. And, and the reason that we put beauty in that category, and it might seem like an artificial one, but like, you know, whether it's um, hairdressers, nail studios, other things like that, these actually form a really strong part of really good destinations. They're mm. another reason to spend and stay. And they're mm. also a particularly vulnerable industry during lockdown, yeah. not things that can necessarily pivot. So easy. I don't know if anyone's tried a home haircut, but like, it's quite, it's quite <laughs> well, hard. I, 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 I do one every week. As you can, <laughs> yeah, yeah, as you right. can see. I actually did try with my four year old and I might not try again. YouTube didn't quite uh, teach me well enough. Um, but these are services that really do need to be physical and it's harder for them to pivot digitally in lots of ways. So that's why they're a really important part of like, destinations um so we've seen of course you know with lockdowns that beauty has gone down generally although up in sydney as well still mm, you know they're yeah, still, still yeah. keeping up their appearances yes um but people's overall you know their people are talking online about health their uh, their, their their values and their systems of behavior are interacting around healthy activities still so that's a really positive step to see that health is remaining a priority at this time yeah okay 
So the, la the sort of the last section of the report is sort of the way forward, how to take uh, data-driven action. Uh, again, across those five themes, public, public space, hospitality, creative industries, attractions, wellness, and beauty. Um, I, I, I think I asked the final question here. Um, what, what do you think is going to stick as sort of a level of new normalness? What, mm. what, 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 what do you, which of the changes that we saw during lockdown and, and the, the shifts in behavior or engaged levels of engagement, which ones do you think are going to stick more than others? Have you got some, got some sort yeah. of ideas to share there? Yeah, I, I do have some preliminary thoughts. And I think what we've tried to say in the report is not so much like a series of very concrete recommendations, but more that we should be data-driven in our approach. With, with so much that's unknown, we should be using all the information that we have as a starting point to understand what's changing and that the impact is asymmetrical, that neighbourhoods, one neighbourhood next to another will actually be impacted differently. And we should look at the data to understand that in our decision-making. Um, in answer to your question, if, if we if we assume that we are going to stay more local, so I think, you know, evidence is now showing that people don't want to go back to the office full time, even if they could. Uh, so we'll be spending more time locally. If mm -hmm. we assume that a lot of the digital transformation that's occurred will also have an impact, not just on our workplaces, but on our activity centres, on our local businesses, and that that is there to stay, then I think we will see some very different participation and behaviour with, say, the way that we interact with, with shopping, the way that we interact with public space even. I think if we're spending more time locally, we're likely to have more pressure long-term on those in-demand assets, and we might need to think about what we need what more space we might need to create mm. uh, in our cities, whether it's opening up streets, transforming greyfield spaces into more green space, we're probably going to need more of that uh, in various ways. But I think the biggest shift for me is probably around attractions and destinations. I think our relationship with being attracted to one big centre as our kinds of means of activity will be more distributed to those yeah. local activity centres. And if that's the case, then we, we, in terms of our COVID recovery, perhaps let's think less about the big bridge and blockbuster destination mm -hmm. project. And let's think more about what those hundreds of smaller projects supporting all of those neighbourhoods and local economies will look like. Yeah. Okay. So a, a, a final sort of more personal one to reflect on. And I know it's hard. You're in the midst of lockdown at the moment in Melbourne, hopefully out of it soon, but um, what are you looking forward to over the next six to 12 months, just more generally? <laughs> so being in Melbourne, I'm, I'm like waiting with bated breath for the official announcements this weekend about whether mm. we, we're going to come out of stage four and yeah. uh, be allowed to come out of our local just occasionally. I love it. But it's nice to leave it. Uh, but uh, I really hope that we will see, I mean, I have noticed people's behaviours and attitudes uh, around, um, you know, data is a passion of mine. And that's, it's a, uh, so I've really noticed people's behaviour around that has shifted in the last six months. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually quite excited that we might have a more mature conversation around digital transformation, around um, smart cities, around placemaking uh, in the next six to 12 months that won't be so much about, um, you know, 
you know, old school versus new school thinking or however you think it, but we'll actually just have a more mature conversation together about how we create great places using all the tools available. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that people are already thinking about data differently. They're already thinking about place really differently. Uh, and if we're able to accelerate that level of change, you know, we've seen cities open up their streets overnight, put out yeah. temporary bike lanes, things yeah. that would have normally taken months Years. and months of approvals have yep. just happened in weeks mm. so if we can retain that level of innovation and transformation then i'm pretty excited about the sort of places that we could create in the next six to 12 months yeah likewise i'm keeping a watching brief on uh, hopefully some of those really good things that uh, we've been able to do under a pandemic that we'll hopefully do more of uh but but for now um listener thanks so much for joining us on the chronicles it's been uh, it's been great to uh have you uh, share the insights of this this great new report that you've put out? Thanks, uh, thanks very much again. No, a pleasure. Great to chat, Adam. And for our listeners, that was Lucinda Hartley, uh, co-founder and chief growth officer at Neighbourlytics. The report we've been talking through is titled "The New Local," and you can download that from their website if you go to neighbourlytics.com and head to their COVID nineteen uh, set of resources. Uh, that's about it uh, from us for episode 80 on the Chronicles. If you're not subscribing, you can do so. Head to your favourite podcast platform. You'll find us there, the Smart Cities Chronicles. You can also head to the website directly and see all of the episodes. Uh, the website is uh, smartcitieschronicles.com. My name is Adam Beck, the host of the Chronicles. Uh, we look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Stay well, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon.